Hey, it's Dave. So I'm back in Austin at the moment and I decided to do a live stream. Haven't done one in quite a while. Um, in this live stream, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over some of the latest open AI plans with their new uh, upcoming GPT-5 model. Um, there's also some breaking kind of rumors of open AI working on a smaller model within two years that might be able to run on local devices like phones and stuff. I think this is gonna be uh, truly remarkable. And then we'll talk about um, Tesla's uh, FSD version 12 that might be coming out in quote unquote two weeks, uh, kind of what my thoughts on that are, and we'll take some uh, questions from viewers as well. All right, so first I wanna go and uh, look into this new article by the Financial Times that interviewed Sam Altman. And I was kind of surprised that Sam actually was quite open in terms of uh, the state of OpenAI and where their future plans are headed. And I want to go over a few of these points in this article and kind of share my reflections. And the whole purpose is to kind of gauge like how can we predict or forecast what's going to happen in the field of AI, how to get prepared, uh, what are the opportunities? Um, and that's, I think, uh, crucial to understand. All right, so I, I posted um, a quick summary, and here, here are a few points, is that OpenAI remains unprofitable despite right, its amazing revenue growth. I mean, they're charging $20 a month per user. They have one of the fastest growing apps ever, and yet they're still unprofitable, and this is largely because of their significant training expenses. And what OpenAI is doing is they're basically um, going all in, and they're training their next model. Um, and their next model is going to be GPT-5. And this is one of the first interviews that I've seen where Sam uh, specifically acknowledges that they are underway with GPT-5 in terms of development. They don't have a release date yet. But my sense is that they're already, you know, probably even training this model. GPT-4 took, you know, let's say about three months to train or so. I would expect GPT-5 to take at least that amount of, of training. But after training is done, they usually do at least, let's say, six months or so in terms of basically trying to contain and teach the model right, not to uh, do the wrong things right, and to do reinforcement learning. So it's still going to be probably in a good seven or eight months after um, right, they, they start training um, before they can release the model. So I would expect probably, you know, sometime second half or summer, you know, of next year, we'll see GPT-5 release, um, which is going to be fascinating because it'll be a bigger model, it'll be more capable, and who knows, you know, what it will do. And this is all kind of in the march toward artificial general intelligence. Microsoft invested in OpenAI um, at a $29 billion valuation earlier this year, which is a steal because Supposedly, rumors are that OpenAI could have a valuation right now of upwards of $100 billion. It could be even higher. Um, so OpenAI is going to need more money because they're just going all in with training, um, not just GPT-5, but they're looking at their next models um, uh, as well. Um, they have a huge shortage of NVIDIA H100 chips, just like everyone in the industry, but they're seeing you know, some signs that that is um, uh, lessening. And... Um, yeah, and OpenAI views their whole business model not as ChatGPT, not as plugins or these custom GPTs. All of this stuff is under the umbrella of intelligence as a service, right? And he views basically OpenAI as pushing the envelope in terms of uh, providing intelligence from the cloud. Um, and what's interesting with all of this is that, um, yeah, that that the 
the whole space of this large language model field and AGI is is becoming so competitive, especially with the entrance of Elon Musk um, and other companies as well. So we're gonna see huge developments that are gonna be very fast this upcoming year. And um, yeah, this is something definitely to look out for. Now the second piece of news before kind of going into you know questions is this piece of, um, this is kind of a rumor from Jimmy Apples. Now Jimmy Apples, if you haven't followed him, this guy on Twitter, he's kind of uh, come up with some interesting kind of leaks in the past, not a ton, but a few that a couple seem to be reliable, a couple seem to be, you know, unconfirmed. But um, I would I would take this with a grain of salt, but yet I give it, you know, some credibility in terms of, you know, perhaps he's heard something from the inside. So here he says, OpenAI peeps are giving me the cold shoulder, so it's gonna, he's going to leak this. Uh, by the end of 2025, there should be an OpenAI model in the range of 1 to 10 billion parameters that is significantly better than GPT-4. All right, so I uh, quoted this tweet and I said, this is gonna be crazy if this happens, because if a model that has under 10 billion parameters um, is released that's better than GPT-4, everything changes, right? And so let me explain this for the lay people out there, is when you have a neural net model, basically um, you have these parameters or weights that are in the the neural net. And you could look at a parameter as a certain angle or glasses, let's say a unique set of glasses that's looking at the data in a certain way, right? So for example, if it's analyzing a cat, and let's say it's a super simple model, one parameter or weight might be looking at um, the color of the cat. Another might be the, the texture of the cat. Another might be the shape of the cat, etc. Now this is a super oversimplified example, but each parameter is basically a, a unique view or glasses on a set of data or on the features of the data. So when we're talking about, let's say 10 billion parameters, what we're talking about is 10 billion of these kind of unique glasses looking on certain features of the data. And when the neural net is trained, all of these weights are adjusted um, and that creates right this whole neural net. Um, so why is this important? Because with GPT-4, uh, the rumor has it is it has 1.76 trillion parameters. And that was kind of like the big jump with GPT-4, which is you had a much bigger model than GPT-3 or 3.5, much you know more compute and training, and it, it resulted in this humongous new model that is super capable. Now, um, with GPT-5, I expect this you know, parameter uh, level to go up significantly, probably, you know, 10 times or so. But the interesting part is the reverse. And if you can get the parameters down, let's say shrink it by a factor of 100, by two orders of magnitude, what's gonna happen is it opens up a whole new application kind of use cases for uh, large language models. Now, the big problem with a huge language model is that it needs these big computers to run these models, you can't run them in your pocket or at home on your computer. And the resulting kind of challenge is that these large language models cost a lot to run and they're slow, right? You give a, a response and they, it takes a while to get back, especially the newer models and more capable models. Now, if you had a smaller model, right, with let's say less than 10 million parameters, you could run this natively on your laptop or even your phone. It depends on how much you, you quantize it or shrink it further. And then the cost of running a model like this would be nearly free because you could run it anywhere. Even if you run it on a cloud, it's just basically neg negligible compute. And so you basically have 
free GPT-4, right, for everyone in the world. And this is, and it's not just free GPT, but my other point is a smaller model would lead to faster inference times, which means you can run the model more quickly, right? That's one of the problems with these big models is they take a long time to run or to give back the tokens, unless you have a super powerful computer. But if you have it as a smaller model, you'll get quick inference times and you can have more real-time application usage. Right, instant responses it could be doing a ton of things. Now this, um, if this is the case, this is a complete game changer for, for AI. Um, and I think that um, this rumor that says that they're going, there's going to be right, a model by 2025, I would adjust it and I would say, it's probable or likely that OpenAI uh, open is aiming right, for a model like this, a sub 10 billion parameter mod model that's better by G than GPT-4 by the end of 2025. Now, what will this open up? Why are they working on a model like this? I think one of the big reasons is if they can actually succeed in doing this, then they could perhaps go into, uh, go into the hardware field and they can come up with a device that I don't, I don't think it would be a phone because that's been done before, but another type of device that would run natively, right? Their best kind of small models, but be more capable, let's say the GPT-4, and can do a, a million things. And that type of device would be combined with their expertise and you know, coming up with this, the, the best and smallest models. And you'll have a new generation of AI kind of hardware devices. That's one of the reasons why I'm not very excited about the humane AI pin. Now I gave a kind of a quick analysis or my thoughts on the humane AI pin. Um, and it's this, you know, kind of wearable pin that was uh, announced last week. Now, the problem I have with this device is it doesn't bring anything really unique to the picture, meaning it's just, you know, a regular device. It doesn't have like the supercomputer per se that runs these, you know, native neural nets. They're not like, it doesn't feel like it's the next generation like AI models or anything. It's an interesting hardware device that uses APIs, connects to the cloud, right? And, and gets basically, kind of a, another version of what your smartphone can do, but in a different form factor. To me, you know, that's more of an iterative uh, improvement. It's not necessarily a revolutionary improvement. Now, if you had a model that's sub 10 billion parameters, right, that's better than GPT-4, that could run right on your phone, can be super quick, super fast, and basically free, available all the time. This could be one of the biggest kind of uh, revolutions in tech, right, ever. Um, it's basically taking what we we know, right, that AI does with GPT-4 and democratizing it, basically spreading it out, basically almost making it for free. These cases would be amazing. Now you pair that together with OpenAI's kind of pushing the forward with HGI and what they're even, you know, shooting for with super intelligence. Um, you, they're taking both sides of the both ends of the spectrum, right? So you go after the big models with GPT-5, GPT-6, trillions and trillions of parameters, et cetera. But you also go after the smaller models, right? To go and try to take on, let's say, these a hardware, hardware device in the hardware market as well. And these two approaches, they might seem kind of um, uh, less focused or distracted, but in a way you could use the, the large language model approach to, to get you to the small language. Uh, model approach. And the way you do that is you come up with GPT-5, GPT-6, et cetera, and you use that to pare it down into a smaller model, right? That's that's not as capable, but, but less capable, but super small and can run anywhere. I think that's kind of the strategy of OpenAI. I kind of wonder if Andre Karpati is perhaps working on this, if not in charge of this project in terms of the smaller um, 
you know, uh, model. Uh, he tweets about kind of these smaller models sometimes. Um, it would be interesting, yeah. And um, yeah, sometimes I wonder, yeah, if um, what, would, what it would be like if Karpathy was still kind of with Tesla. Anyways, um, let's move on to um, um, Elon's uh, tweet about um, two weeks. So we've got uh, possibly uh, FSD version 12 coming out in two weeks. So uh, Omar uh, tweeted, um, any guess on when customers might first be able to try out FSD 12? Elon said 12 weeks. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> the, the two, the, or two weeks, sorry, the two weeks um, response triggers a lot of emotions. Back in the day, a few years ago, um, um, in what, 2021, yeah, Elon said two weeks, and it, it was uh, much longer than two weeks. I think it was for version 12 or so, right? So, um, yeah, what's my guess? Um, I think we might see version uh, 12 by the end of the year. Um, I'm hoping, I think that's kind of the goal, the aim. Uh, sure, it can come sooner, sure, it can come later. There, a lot of these things, there's a lot of um, details and nuance involved where if there's a bug or something that doesn't work um, or is very dangerous about it, you've got to push it off, right? And because it's a complete new version and it's like a new platform architecture that they're building complete end-to-end, -end, I would lean on it being needing to be more conservative in the rollout, right? So I would imagine the first rollout, you would see kind of very few people get it and not everyone get it. And they would have to have a few versions like that. So my hunch is I don't see we get, I don't see us getting a wide customer rollout by the end of the year. I think that's gonna come probably for a Q1 of next year. And I think that's the wise move to do. You know, you've got to go slowly, you know, make the right moves as you roll this out in a safe way. Now, the big implication for version uh, 12 is that it's complete end-to-end. -end, and this has the promise of, or the potential to be a big step change. A lot of the driving behaviors are gonna be different. Um, I would imagine it introduces some more dangerous situations, but a lot of cases it actually improves it. And the big kind of challenge is that the dangerous cases introduced are, are negligible or in some way handled by the system in a way where it doesn't become dangerous. I would imagine also the first several months Press, we're gonna to have to still oversee the system. So the responsibility is still gonna be on the driver. As Tesla ramps this up, then we're going to see the capabilities increase and the the competence of the system increase, and we're going to see it do amazing things. That's my you know um, expectation. Um, Tesla, I think, is aiming for 100 exaflops. I think by the end of next year, in terms of compute power, this is largely to train right this huge neural net model in version 12. Um, and yeah, I think they're going to need a, a huge amount of compute power to to make this happen. I'm kind of you know. Um, I don't think we'll see RoboTaxi next year. I, th I think it's going to take us a while, at least a year, to iron out a lot of issues to build up this model, build up the compute power and the training. Perhaps 2025, we're going to see a lot more uh, stuff happen, um, perhaps with initial RoboTaxi rollout. Um, Matt Smith, he says, do you think Elon's, Elon Musk's about two weeks um, is just a joke or serious? And um, actually, I haven't even replied to this. Um, I would say, yeah, he's serious. Oh, po most people think it's a joke. Interesting. Uh, Emmett said, I think it's both to him. And <laughs> yeah, I think there is an element where I don't think Elon is, um, is uh, he's not 100% joking, 
because I think he's really trying to push this out quick, right? And there's a possibility it could come in two weeks, but it's an ambitious possibility. And of course, two weeks is um, something that's been shared uh, before. All right, so I wanna go ahead and um, I wanna see if we can take some questions here. Um, and um, let's go ahead and um, yeah. Okay, um, I haven't looked, seen the comments yet in this video, so I'm gonna start looking at the comments right now. If you go ahead, uh, if you wanna add a question for me to add onto the stream, type in all caps, question, colon, and then your question, and then I'll go ahead and try to answer. Apple side, you can have, you know, just native LLMs running on your, your Apple phone, your Android phone. You're gonna have, you know, Grok on Twitter. You're gonna have many different choices, right, to go in terms of LLMs. And as the capability increases, if you need the, the higher levels of intelligence, you'll go to different specialized solutions. If you need just kind of general quick stuff, you'll go to almost anywhere. Um, Warren also says, uh, Tesla uses inference chips on their cars and they're trained on much larger training compute. Will a similar approach work with LLMs? Yeah, so, um, whoops. Um, let me get back that question. Um, yeah, so the process is, you know, you take this super large model and if you think about it, let's say it has billions and billions or even trillion plus, you know, parameters or they say unique uh, angles or glasses and how it looks at uh, data and its features. What you do is you don't really need all of those uh, parameters exactly to have the same or close to equivalent functionality, right, of the model. And so what quantizing does is it tries to pare it down into a smaller model that can fit um, on, a, on a machine to just run, right, quicker. And yeah, we're gonna see kind of a lot of that uh, being done in the future that's what we were talking about with the earlier leak I shared, which is bringing down the model, right, to less parameters as well. All of this stuff are efforts to bring down models into something that's smaller because the use cases will just proliferate like crazy as the models get smaller and quicker to run. Um, if you were to invest in any other company other than Tesla, which would it be? Um, yeah, I mean, it's risk tolerance again, right? You could have higher risk, maybe higher reward. Um, if you want kind of a moderate thing, moderate for me personally, right? This is not investment advice. Um, I think a, a great moderate reward or moderate risk, but decently high reward is SpaceX. It's in the private markets though, because you have Starlink, which is just hitting a stride with 2 million subscribers and, you know, I think they're getting cash flow positive. A lot of good things are happening with that company. It's, I mean, of course, it's dependent on Elon Musk and his, his him being there. Um, but Starlink is becoming a very attractive business in itself. And so, yeah, SpaceX. Um, I think what it's around 150 billion dollar market market cap in the private markets. You know, decent, uh, moderate risk. Of course, it can go down, but the chances of it doubling or quadrupling in the next you know, five to 10 years are quite good in my opinion. Um, so yeah, another attractive investment. Another investment is just XAI. I think the, the structure is actually separate from Twitter. So it's outside of Twitter, the company. And part of it is I think Elon needed to give equity to some of the best AI researchers for them to come and to join. And so it's a separate company, I believe. So X.AI is an interesting company. I think Elon has a lot to bring in the LLM wars. Um, it's not just Grok, you know, it's a sense of humor that Grok has and it's a sense of just being candid and, and straightforward and, 
kind of uh, uh, beyond the, the the PC, you know, kind of stuff and just being straight. And I think um, that's part of it. But another part of it is a technical angle that Grok has. And they're really trying to be efficient with their usage. You could have trillions and trillions of parameters and run this and throw, you know, tens of billions of dollars of compute and you'll get a great model. It's just gonna cost a ton to run, right, that model. And so the question is, is like, is how great of a model is that? And then you have to work backwards to try to shrink that model to make it more cost effective. And I think what Elon is doing is he's trying to do the reverse approach and it's shown in the paper that they released from Grok that they're trying to make it a super efficient model from the very beginning so that it could actually run efficiently and they can use it right in most in a lot of cases so um, I think Grok is actually very impressive in the stuff they've done just in less than a year right I think um, yeah it right now OpenAI can mock Grok and can say it's just like a third grade project whatever there's some rumors that some OpenAI engineers called it a third grader project but the reality is you've got to look at the pace of improvement right Grok is improving uh, significantly fast and uh yeah, they've got some a, a unique approach that's not taken in the market so far. And I think because of that, you can't uh, rule out X.AI. Um, Goran uh, Spasojevic says, if V12 is anything like GPT, I'm generally concerned about the future of FST. Yeah, the thing is, um, um, GPTs are concerning because they're, you've got the whole hallucination uh, problem and it's hard to get rid of. You know, some people call GPTs as idiot savants. And the idea is it's a savant, but it's an idiot at times too, but it doesn't know when it's an idiot because it's like thinks it's a savant all the time. It's a very, very challenging problem. Um, and the problem of hallucinations with version 12 is going to be a, a real issue, especially if you go end to end and you don't really know, let's say, where these hallucinations are coming from. Um, but another angle I look at it as is V12 is N10, but I think it builds on all of or a lot of their previous model work. Um, and with um, occupancy network, um, and with all of their other kind of planning stuff that they've replaced a lot of it that that were basically heuristic based and rule based, but they've added, they've actually kept a lot of the, the foundation, the models of the, the existing neural nets that they've had before. And there's lots of checks in, within that system. Because of that, I think um, it's a fundamentally different approach that Tesla has. It's a very much more hands-on, a guided approach in terms of many different neural nets stuck together to make a bigger neural net and these sub neural nets are kind of in check with each other and so yeah I, th I don't think it'll, it'll be as big of a problem as let's say with LLMs or large language models but it's definitely going to be a question uh, to look out for and a big challenge and we're going to have we're going to see different driving behaviors completely right with version 12. I think a lot of ways we're going to see it superhuman in most tasks the question is, that's not good enough, right? It has to be superhuman. Like in all tasks, needs to be above reproach. You can't have these occasional crazy stuff. And so that's um, one of the things you've got to uh, really focus on. Um, have you seen significant progress um, of self-driving from non-Tesla pairs? NVIDIA has a self-driving platform. Could their compute prowess be paired with the legacy auto become a thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's a challenging process. NVIDIA is just busy with, you know, their H100s serving their cloud business, 
all these other hardware businesses, they do have right their self-driving platform and it'll get better over time. Um, Tesla is just extremely focused on making you know, the most compute for the lowest wattage. And that's really important for real world usage. Um, and I think you can use other hardware like NVIDIA's to, to do a kind of prove a use case to, to as a first kind of move to show what can be done, but to roll it out mass scale, um, yeah, you need better, more cheaper and um, more efficient hardware. And over time, NVIDIA will make that stuff as the demand for their hardware grows, right? So it's just going to be behind Tesla because Tesla is, keep, is continuing to push the envelope with the type of hardware that it's able to give. Um, over the next five years, is there a specific year that stands out as a magic year for Tesla or, or me? It's 2024 with Cybertruck release, Model 3, revamp, etc. Your thoughts? Yeah, let me see if I can move. Oh. Okay, this, um, the question overlay is a little bit small. I'll try to work on that in the next stream. So yeah, I think um, the, the magic year, I don't know if it's 2024, honestly, just because sure you got Cybertruck. Cybertruck is gonna take, I think, longer than most people realize to ramp. It's just gonna be a hard product to ramp, I think. Um, Model 3 revamp, I don't know if it's gonna boost sales like, you know, like significantly enough to, to make a huge difference in the trajectory of Tesla. I think the biggest thing is is either going to be FSD uh, RoboTaxi or Humanoid Robot. And I think we're going to see huge improvements in 2024, but I just don't see us having a real, maybe, I don't, yeah, I just don't see us having a real RoboTaxi rollout next year. I think it's going to take all next year to really refine V12, get to the point where, you know, we're beginning to prepare for the launch of RoboTaxi. So maybe 2025. I also think there could be some really significant um, developments with humanoid robots faster than what most people think. I mean, we try to compare right humanoid robots with the rollout of RoboTaxi or FSD, which has been really slow. But I think the opposite is going to happen. We're going to see some really fast progress with humanoid robots. Once it's, it's able to reach a certain threshold holder of ability, AI and neural nets are going to be able to pack on, right, just super fast incremental, like, or exponentially growing uh, abilities into the robot. So we're going to have some crazy fast development. I'm not sure exactly when that would be, but I would say probably 2025 as well, right? So if there had to be one year, I would say probably 2025 um, in terms of what would be kind of a breakout year. But of course, all of this is speculation. None of this is investment advice, obviously. Um, how will AI transform education? I think it's going to transform education completely. I'm thinking what teacher can compete with AI, right? AI like, can answer almost anything. And there's limitations to AI, of course. Um, but in, if used well, AI can completely transform. I mean, already before AI, education apps were, were transforming education. But you add actual real intelligence right, to these different approaches and a personalized approach. We're going to see it um, just ramp like no other. Um, I'm using a lot of just um, apps with my kids. I'm using AI with my kids in different ways. Uh, we're asking AI lots of questions all throughout the day. And I'm like, I don't think you can get this level of education in any school, actually, right? Um, yeah, already the d democratization that's going to happen with, with education through, through AI is going to be intense. And it's a hugely optimistic 
um, happening, I think, because it allows people from all over the world, from all different backgrounds to have a chance at the best education, the best opportunities ever. Um, and we're going to see new companies and new approaches um, and new things happening in the field of education. <clears throat> Uh, Bubakar uh, says, when are we going to see uh, AI like Samantha from the film Her become a reality? Um, so if you checked out my second news item, which is uh, a sub $10, billion, uh, sub $10 billion parameter model right by the end of 2025, so that's two years, um, that's more capable of GPT-4. If that happens, then we see Samantha from Her a reality, basically. And that's the gist of it. Because the... Already with GPT, with ChatGPT on your phone, you've got this um, really, really impressive um, uh, audio interface, right? Um, it, it's it's super impressive. And for those who haven't heard the 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 voice of uh, OpenAI or ChatGPT, it sounds like really it sounds like a human. Um, very very little difference. But the, the big problem that ChatGPT has with their voice chat right now is the latency. It takes like a few seconds um, to get information back. And so let me give you an example, right? I've got the, the ChatGPT app open right here, and I'll come up with a, a question. I'll say, when are we going to see an AI like Samantha from the film Her become a reality? The development of AI similar to Samantha from the movie Her involves complexities beyond current technology. As of now, AI has made significant strides in understanding and generating human language, but it lacks genuine consciousness or emotions. Several challenges exist. One, emotional intelligence. AI today can simulate empathy or emotional understanding to an extent, but it's based on algorithms and data, not real feelings. Two, consciousness. AI lacks self-awareness and consciousness, which are central to Samantha's character. Creating conscious AI is still a topic of philosophical and scientific debate. Personal relationships. AI today can't form genuine personal relationships. It can simulate conversation and learn from interactions, but lacks the depth of understanding and emotional connections seen in Samantha. Four, ethics and safety. There are ethical... Con Interesting. So if you notice the voice already with uh, ChatGPT, it's 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 very very close to a human right now. It's just the latency is is a problem. Sometimes it takes three or five seconds to get a, re a response. You can't cut it off in mid sentence. You have to wait till it finishes, etc. And so, let me rephrase my answer based upon this answer. Chat GPT's answer is: I'm not talking about the emotional or the relational, the consciousness aspect of her. I'm just talking about the, the purely the the technical reality of uh, being able to converse back and forth quickly with an AI agent, right? Forget the emotional, relational, consciousness, whatever aspect for now. Just technically, when is that going to be possible? And I think technically, it'll be possible when you get a native, locally run right, model that's as capable or more capable than GPT-4, but it runs natively, let's say, on a quick, on a small device, let's say, AI or whatever, a phone device. You could do it sooner if it's running on a bigger device, let's say. But yeah, it's running on a, a small device, and you're going back and forth without interruption, without latency, then we're going to see true AI voice interaction that's just like like a human. I think that's going to be a huge turning point. When AI makes the next jump of like acting like a human in terms of emotional intelligence, et cetera, like that's a, a big question mark. I mean, 
AI is, you know, a lot of it is emulation, right? Mimicry. And yeah, I think it does a great, it could do a, a, a quite a good job mimicking the human, emotional intelligence of humans uh, faster than most people think actually when given the chance. Um, are we at the point yet where AIs can improve themselves? No, sorry. I mean, in some ways, we're using AI to already improve ourselves. Like, by you can generate new data, you can analyze the data, it could, you know, like generate the new parameters that it needs for a bigger model. I mean, AI is probably being used in many, many ways to to improve itself, but it's not completely self-improving yet. In terms of, you can't just let it go and it just makes the next model, right? Um, that's the whole idea of superintelligence. Once a AI becomes AGI or artificial general intelligence where it's smarter than human, then it could possibly create better models of itself. Um, and there's potential where we don't even know what like these models are, like we can't even understand them at a certain point, right? And they, it proves it so fast that it's just like crazy and it can get supposedly, the idea is it can get out of control. Um, that's a huge debate in itself. Um, what's my thoughts of Meta compared to NVIDIA, Tesla, Microsoft? Yeah, Microsoft is amazing cash cow. You know, they've got their position secure with OpenAI, with the tech. They're moving at a breathtaking speed of putting this tech into their products with Windows and Office and the cloud, Azure, all this stuff. So yeah, Microsoft has just got to be kind of like the poster child for the AI, you know, kind of tech stock market. Um, the only problem is it already has a high market cap. So you know, you're not going to see a 10x quickly with that stock. But in terms of riding the wave in a kind of low to moderate risk, but I would say even low risk, right? Microsoft is interesting. Um, NASDAQ as a whole is another interesting play just because you have a lot of the big tech companies like Google, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Meta, all part of the NASDAQ and having a significant portion of that. So if you invest in the NASDAQ as a whole index fund, that's also a, a decent low to moderate way to get exposure to AI. Um, yeah, NVIDIA is amazing. It's not just their chips, it's their platform, right? The software tools that allow these companies to train their models and to use their chips. Um, it's it's a platform they've they've invested many, many years. It's, it's, so it's, it's not easy to replicate what NVIDIA has. Um, the only issue is, again, a trillion dollar market cap company, a lot of already hype in these two execute and continuous growth. Um, Meta is interesting because it's not, it's, it's playing a different game with trying to go open source uh, AI. They're becoming the leaders or one of the leaders in terms of pushing uh, open AI, open source AI, which is ironic because you would have thought that another company would have, you know, pushed open source more, but Facebook is doing that. And, you know, they're going hard, big on uh, virtual reality. Um, I don't know where all this ends up, but I, for some reason, I think, open source, what Meta is doing can make sense. And open source is probably one of the most exciting fields of AI because you could do a lot that and cheaper and faster in some ways than a lot of these closed companies. Um, we're going to see what, what that, you know, how it plays out in the future, but um, Facebook could leverage all of that open AI experience or open source experience with AI, invest it into their products. Um, but yeah, again, they need an, a next big hit. Right? I'm not happy just with their Instagram, with their Facebook you know, platforms or WhatsApp. They need, they need their next big thing. And the question is, is virtual reality going to be that next big thing for them when, yeah, I just don't see their experience really being the, the most compelling 
crazy experience it can be. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I kind of wonder if there needs to be a different uh, intermediate product, a product before that that takes off for Meta really to catch on. But we'll see, you know, what their thoughts are. Um, can artificial superintelligence arise from human-generated data and human feedback, or does it require learning from something beyond human, like real-world data? Um, yeah, there's a, several questions with that. I mean, um, once AI gets to artificial general intelligence and gets to a high level of that, then you know it's as if humans were improving the model themselves. It's just AI is doing it, and they could use combinations of data out there, but it could create its own data and, you know, improve it, the system as well. Um, yeah, you don't need actually humans involved at a certain point, theoretically. But yeah, that's the whole idea of, of super intelligence is it evolves with humans outside of the loop because it reaches a level of intelligence beyond humans, right, that allows it to go ahead and improve itself. Uh, Ryan Mitchell, why haven't we heard much um, from Tesla on the semi? I think it could be just as big as their other consumer EV business in terms of profits, especially coming from the charging network required. Yeah, so um, the semi, a little bit disappointing that we haven't not just heard much about it, but we haven't seen the ramp happen uh, that fast this year. My take on the semi is I really think it's um, it was predicated on FSD being being ready and it being autonomous. I don't think the semi was really ever kind of devised to be this completely human-driven truck, which it, of course it has a driver, you know, seat and, and all this stuff, but the big, you know, step change is autonomous driving and trucking, right? That changes everything. And to have a huge fleet of all these semis that are human-driven and you're supporting, you're doing all this stuff, it's like, and you're focused on that, it kind of, I don't know, it, it's not as exciting, it's not as interesting if you're on the verge of cracking autonomous driving. It seems like, why not just wait a bit, uh, crack autonomous driving and have real autonomous driving uh, semi-trucks? Of course, there's a spectrum, so you have to kind of, at some point you have to jump in and improve the, the spectrum or improve the abilities of right the autonomous driving vehicle or trucks. So I think that's what Tesla is doing. Tesla's testing out the waters. Um, they know it's a big market, I've talked to uh, one person in Tesla management prior that was saying like, yeah, they understand the market um, for semis is quite large. It could, um, it could be one of their you know, big markets or big vehicle segments. And so they, it's not that they don't understand it. It's more of just like kind of picking your battles and choosing um, how strong you want to go into it at the right time, right? And I think that's also brings back to the whole you know, $25,000 vehicle, again, it's like, why hasn't Tesla come out with it now? Why, you know, why is it still kind of pushed out? We're not seeing it coming out next year, so 2024. I think one of the reasons also is like, is a $25,000 vehicle that humans drive, right? Is it really that great of a business compared to an autonomous driven vehicle? You can stick in a robo taxi network, like there are multiple streams of income. Like there's, it's just a complete step change, right? So you're not as excited to really release a $25,000 human driven vehicle if you're on the cusp, on the verge of cracking the nut with autonomous driving. I think that's that kind of explains a bit why, right? The $25,000 vehicle is, I wouldn't say delayed, but it comes maybe slower than what some people might have hoped for. But that's the reality. I mean, you get some pros and cons with Tesla's FSD approach. One of the cons is they've been expecting it to be cracked at, 
you know, like um, at any moment for the past like five years or so, right? Um, that's the con. The pro is they, they're continuously pushing the envelope, prioritizing it, making it a big priority so that they really are at least in leadership position or putting themselves in the position to be in the best place to crack it, right? Um, so there's definitely pros and cons, but yeah, I think um, as time goes on, as we see more developments also with other types of AI with, you know, let's say GPT-4 and 5, multimodal models, you have audio models, all these other types of models, it gives more credence also to what Tesla is doing with their approach. Um, and it shows that, yeah, it's just a matter, matter of time before Tesla is able to crack the nut as well in terms of autonomous driving. But yeah, I was thinking this past week, Lex Friedman um, in some of his videos in the past has kind of uh, insinuated that he thought that autonomous driving would need a, a level of intelligence close to AGI, if not AGI. And I think that was an interesting comment he made several years ago that was uh, is, is proven to be kind of true in a sense, right? Because I think with artificial intelligence, we're starting to approach AGI um, level artificial intelligence. And yeah, that's the time period. That's the kind of the level of AI were, were needed. Um, I mean, of course, now this brings up a whole nother kind of uh, basket of worms in a sense of, of, do you need AGI to solve autonomous driving? And I think it's different. Um, I think the, the the large language model kind of approach to AGI is one of logic kind of reasoning, you know, like making sentences, constructing, you know, uh, paragraphs and arguing arguments back and forth, et cetera, solving problems. Uh, it's a much more cognitive approach. But if you think about what animals need to do to navigate the physical world, take a leopard or a cheetah, they're not running complex large language models right in their their heads they don't know how to say things per se and they didn't gain the ability to navigate their physical environments through connections of words and logic right and there's a different kind of you know model going on in their brains and it's one of kind of a very sensing mo uh, mod mod model that senses right the sounds and the and the colors and the shades and and the speeds and and angles and all this stuff. And that model allows the animal to be able to navigate quickly in the world. Is that AGI? Can we say a cheetah has AGI or human level intelligence? Obviously it doesn't have human level intelligence in language, right? When logic, reasoning, expression, all this stuff, but does it have human level intelligence in terms of how to understand the physical world? Yeah, perhaps, right? It can navigate, run around, do all the stuff that humans can do um, in the physical world. So in that sense, I think with autonomous driving, sure, you don't need human level large language model intelligence, right, in that sense. But do you need human level kind of physical, and I wouldn't say human level, let's say call animal level, animal level or human level kind of physical world sensing and the ability to navigate, if you call that intelligence, then yeah, we're, we're seeing that that's kind of the case, that our cars are going are needing to have that type of level of, let's say, physical navigation intelligence, right? In order to solve the autonomous driving problem. So yeah, definitely interesting um, interesting stuff that's happening. Um, Moon says, how will robotaxi be, robotaxis be rolled out? Some big cities first as a pilot, no pun intended, and scaled up once more confidence in other areas based on data. Yeah, I think all of that stuff, I think in some ways is 
secondary and the most important thing is solving the problem is once you solve the problem, it's going to spread like wildfire because, and the, the, the pace at which it, after it solves autonomous driving and improves to a point, point where it gets ridiculously safe, is going to be quite fast. Um, so yeah, but yeah, the rollout I think will be slow initially, but then it'll get really fast as the, as it gets better and better. Every six months, FSD is going to probably make a huge jump in terms of what it's able to do. Daniel Gincha says, when do you see Tesla uh, selling the Tesla bot? Yeah, I think um, uh, it depends, right? But I would say 2025, I mean, second half 2025, that's my uneducated rough guesstimate. Uh, don't hold me to it. Again, um, just a rough guess. But if, I'll explain my, my thought process behind it. This, uh, we know this year they're, they're still kind of testing out, building their actuators, all this stuff. But we know that they're building everything designed for manufacturing, designed for mass manufacturing. It's not just they're trying to do testing, right? In 2024, we'll probably start to see a more focused uh, humanoid robot that's actually starting to do stuff. And its abilities are going to get better by the end of 2024 in a radical way. We're starting, it's starting to it will start to be able to do some real tasks. It'll have solved a lot of its mobility issues and you'll have the intelligence, right? Get into the brain as well to be able to navigate and do things. And 2025 will probably be the year where we'll see the robot do some amazing stuff. I think in the Lex Friedman interview, Elon was saying one of his goals was to have uh, the human robot pick up a, a, a needle and thread it um, with just looking at it. And what that shows is it shows this huge amount of dexterity where you're able to pick up a pin. Like that's crazy. Actually, I don't. Yeah, that's really insane. But then not just that, you're able to pick, to hold a thread, which is another crazy sign of dexterity, right? And then you're able to put it into the thread, which is a huge, which is crazy hand-eye coordination. Um, if they could do that by the end of 2025, I would be astonished, right? This would be just amazingly just incredible. Um, but yeah, that's probably the time frame. Maybe second half of 2025, where perhaps we see the first humanoid robot go on sale. I don't know if they would keep it in more to like corporate customers because maybe there's some liability issues. I don't know. Ramping would take some time. But again, a humanoid robot might be probably be a lot uh, faster and cheaper to assemble than a car, right? You have a lot less parts. You're looking at just actuators and parts in the FSC computer. Um, you're not looking at thousands and thousands of suppliers either. So yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe some of this stuff can actually line up where you have robot taxis, you know, starting to come online, humanoid robots starting to come online that's, you know, that's doing useful stuff all, let's say second half of 2025. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm probably wrong because it's extremely difficult to, to estimate timing, especially with so many things that you know, they're able to go wrong. All right, guys. Um, yes, it's been fun uh, chatting with you guys. Um, uh, fun doing a live stream after a while. I'll try to fix this like kind of small um, text and yellow text uh, coming on the screen. Um, yeah, and uh, we'll see you guys in my next video. Thanks. Bye.